welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Scott Nye. I am David Bax. Thank you for listening, David. Yes. Or you. Well, you know, I had pretty much, other than like promoting Battleship Pretension stuff, I've pretty much sworn off Twitter. Okay. But just when I think I'm out, Henry Kissinger dies. <laughs> I had a feeling when you said you had something for the top of the show that uh, <laughs> yeah. um, would be the topic on everyone's mind. No, I am. It is my policy to not be happy that a person has died, unless you know if they had particularly wronged me specifically. Yes, maybe I might. Has but, this ever happened uh, where somebody who's wronged you has died and you've been happy? I don't think I've been that wronged in my life, to be honest. I was going to say, I, um, yeah, I don't really told stories of David Bax, if so. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, but it doesn't mean I have to be sad someone died. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't mean I can't enjoy the jokes. And sure. I, I've been, all, I've been like so rarely on Twitter recently that it just felt, but it, it, as soon as I got the, cause I, uh, I get news alerts from politico.com push one of the few things i allow push alerts on my phone push notifications on my phone for so i'm i'm waiting for the bus uh and i'm reading something or other about some band probably and then i get the 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 thing and uh yeah i went immediately to twitter as almost Oops. like a, a a muscle memory just like a, yeah. a reflex uh to see the jokes and uh yeah didn't disappoint there's there's been some good some good jokes yeah. And here's what I'll say about the like being happy people are dead thing. I think there are some people for whom it is a public good for them to die. Like, I don't know that I'm like personally, I was personally happy when Antonin Scalia, Scalia died. But like yeah. for that brief moment when we thought we could get someone on the Supreme Court who wasn't Antonin Scalia, I was like, good. That yeah, you can, I, I think that is something you can be happy about. If, yeah, if someone who is, in position to do harm dies you know what um i'm happy that they can't do the harm i guess i'm threading a needle here but i'm not like i uh i i think it's i think it's okay just like i've always said and i think this is something somewhere where tyler and i have often disagreed like but like um when i know like when kobe bryant died some people were like Obviously, some people were bringing up the rape accusation that he settled yeah. out of court, and then some people were saying like, "How could you?" And I'm like, that, "That we we shouldn't start like pretending people were saints the moment they died." You know, yeah, I think for sure. I think it's com- perfectly acceptable to bring up bad shit about people as soon as they die. You know, I um, uh, you know, you and I are both fans to to differing degrees, but both fans of the films of Jerry Lewis, but uh. When he died, I didn't feel any need to uh, not talk about um, some of his uh, sexism uh, and and his opinions on women in comedy. Doesn't mean I don't like the movies. Just yeah, think, for sure. You know, it's, it's the whole person. There's and a whole person there. That's like a big reason why I wanted to like bring up the good and the bad in our big Jerry Lewis profile episode. It's like, or not Jerry Lewis, uh, John Luke Godard um profile episode is that like there's a lot to address there um but in the case of like someone like kissinger who like wasn't in a necessarily position of power but was like somebody who's regularly trotted out as like an expert in u.s policy or whatever else like it's better now that we're not turning to henry kissinger as like a stalwart public figure you know yeah probably that's over yeah 
yeah so uh anyway that's what i wanted to talk about at the top is that um twitter still has its usefulness um even as elon musk is uh i mean it's, it's funny that i check twitter because i don't check it very often uh, apparently he also gave some interview yeah. today where he and i that i watched like a 30 second clip of uh that was like really cringe really embarrassing um uh, yeah, telling a room full of advertisers to go fuck themselves. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. and like he, I don't know. He thinks he's uh, it's it's like he's awful, and that that's one thing. But also, he's so embarrassing. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to speaking of Twitter. This is like years old. A uh, friend of me and Tyler, in front of the podcast, Jeremy Woodcock, who's an incredibly funny person, uh, at one point tweeted something along the lines of like um the question is not whether elon musk is the unfunniest person alive but whether elon musk is the unfunniest person possible (laughs) (laughs) yeah Uh, but yeah so i i guess i mean i also went to blue sky but you know you kind of catch up on all of blue sky pretty quickly yeah so uh, it doesn't have the heat for moments like this yeah so i mean there were definitely some good jokes and definitely some people like cross posting uh the same jokes on on both of them i'm but, sure uh uh yeah there's it's it's been it's been a lot of fun um and yeah the world is probably a better place yeah um anyway uh that's it that's all i have to say uh i want to tell you about tweakedaudio.com tweakedaudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors um i use them each and every day of my life today i was listening to a oddly i say oddly i don't know i've had this conversation with natalie when it comes to black metal and something that i think i and most black metal fans find a lot of beauty in um and i think that's maybe not like the outsider's perspective of what uh black metal is but i talked about it now because being uh a person who was in my car almost as often as i am i force her to listen to a lot of music she wouldn't as i talked sure. like of like do you see the beauty in this and she was like i see i can't remember her exact words but it's something along the lines of i i see how someone could think it's beautiful sure but anyway i listened to a really beautiful album that i'm not going to say the name of because it is not in the roman alphabet i don't know what this says but the band is called misery spell and it's uh um their new album which is only three songs long but is uh just over 45 minutes long uh i listened to today while i was at work and i was kind of like doing the kind of like you know my my job often requires me to like problem solve and think on my feet but also there's just some like data entry type stuff that i have to get done i gotta fill some spreadsheets so i was kind of in that sort of zen zone of filling stuff in and like listening to this on my tweaktardy.com earbuds and uh it was really transportive uh uh, so the misery spell album um that i don't know the name of as beautiful artwork on the cover too um kind of a mix of gothic and art deco uh anyway um Sounded great at my tweakedaudio.com earbuds. Those are available at a low, low price at tweakedaudio.com. But if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So please go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension.
Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Scott? Hello. Let's get into it, shall we? Let's get into all of it. From A to Z. <laughs> From go to woe, as our friends down under say. Do um, they? Yeah, that's a that's an Australian saying. I, um, I once was listening to a podcast where I heard an Australian say from go to woe. And then the next time I saw Will Anderson, the Australian yeah. comedian who has been on this podcast multiple times, I asked him, I was like, do Australians say from go to woe or is that just a thing that guy said and he was like no yeah we say that so i think he's fooling with you <laughs> so uh this can't be real will anderson confirms that from go to woe is an australian saying um and now it's a battleship retention saying absolutely anyway bring it up every um what are we talking about um yeah well as we were going through um or rather as i was kind of prepping for the william friedkin episode and um I didn't talk about this on the episode, but I reached a point where I had only one Friedkin film left to see, and I didn't end up seeing it. It was his uh, 1994 made-for-showtime movie, Jailbreakers, which by all accounts is quite bad and would have cost me $6 to rent in SD. And so I said, nope, (laughs) that is simply a bridge too far um, in my road to completionism on William Friedkin. But there's a part of me that was kind of like, you know, it kind of kept me wondering for a day, maybe half a day of like, should I just do it? Should I pull the trigger? And that way I'll like have seen it all. I'll have conquered freaking. And I was yeah. like, why, why is it was this matter? Nobody, you know, this won't really change the arc of our appreciation of William freaking, but I just have this like thing in the back of my head. That's like, well, then it'll just be done. And then I'd really know for sure whether or not there's not this like little avenue of freaking's mind that I didn't, uh, have access to. And so yeah. just got me thinking about completionism in general. And just that, that is a pursuit of cinephilia. And it's just something that I see a lot of people um, kind of default to as a, like either worthy pursuit or something they want to do um, or just something that kind of drives some aspect of their movie watching. And so I thought it'd just be interesting to bat it around for an hour or so. Um, yeah. Uh, that reminds your um, should I pull the trigger on this thing? Reminds me when we did our Christopher Plummer episode. I still kind of kick myself for not doing this. So there was a made for HBO movie in 1998 called Winchell, in which Stanley Tucci starred as Walter Winchell. Okay. And Christopher Plummer played uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and it was okay. directed by and it was directed by Paul Mazursky. Um, and it's weirdly, it was not on HBO max, which feels stupid. It's an HBO movie. Why isn't it on your service? Um, but I found a used DVD for like a dollar 99 on, on Amazon. And I, and I didn't buy it because I was like, Oh, I've got enough to watch with Christopher Plummer. But a part of me like thinks, what if that is some great, like, I like Paul Mazursky. Yeah, uh, it could be. Really what if good. that's some great, some great movie? This is um, a tangent already, but I do get frustrated. So, like, Jailbreak is another example. Like, that sh- could have been on Showtime's service or Paramount Plus. Now that they're kind of linked up with Showtime, but there's just this like kind of like pre two thousands hole where like 
all those made for premium cable movies just disappeared and they're not offered in any of these services. And that's too bad because there's a lot of stuff from that period that like really never got its due because it was relegated to being a TV movie in an era before TV was kind of revered. And yeah, there's a lot of really notable filmmakers and actors who made some really interesting stuff then. Yeah. I mean, you're reminding me one of my, I guess, white whales, uh, maybe <laughs> cause I have, okay. I've said before, I have Disney Plus, yeah, and I have used it when we did like the Chadwick Boseman like uh, profile. I used it to watch some Marvel stuff, but mostly it's that bundling Hulu, ESPN, and Disney Plus together was cheaper than just doing Hulu and ESPN yeah. separately. So that's why I have Disney Plus. But it has always bothered me that they made for the the Disney Channel original movie Freaky Friday from nineteen ninety five. Um, in which uh shelly long is the mom and gabby hoffman is the daughter right and it's i think the only freaky friday friday that is female directed uh, you know what i could be wrong because i know there was a there was a one like 2019 that um another tv movie that might be female directed you so, saying so, nope th- nope uh so yeah uh 1995 the only it's a uh, there's like there's four freaky fridays as far as i know i had no idea there was this many well there's the 70s one there's a two theatrical ones and two made for TV ones. The seventies okay. with Jodie Foster and then the two thousands with Jamie Lee Curtis and, and Lindsay Lohan. And right. There's this made for TV Disney one from the nineties. And yeah, there's a 2018 made for Disney one that has people who will probably be famous someday that I don't know who they are. Sure. But um, yeah, directed by Melanie Mayron, this 1995 one um, who uh, I don't know what else she has directed, but uh Anyway, it bothers me. It's like I have Disney Plus. Why is this Disney original just Disney Channel original movie with stars in it? Yeah. Uh not not streaming. Anyway. Yeah, I, th- I think a big part of it is that like I don't know, people have this like major aversion to looking at like shitty SD transfers on streaming services. And so they probably feel like they'd have to pay to do a full like HD restoration. And I'm like, no, just put it up there. Give me something. I mean, yeah, you. I mean, yeah, you would have to. Yeah, you're. I mean, you're right. I, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. I would watch it. I mean, it aired on TV in 1995. Yeah, it was meant it to be like crap. standard death. But uh, um, I also like. I don't think you have that much to lose, Disney, uh, by uh, going back and doing a new scan of. Well, the 1995 made for TV movie. It would have shot on film right probably yeah Betting? yeah so yeah you can go back and do a scan that'd be great get on okay so we've already left yeah the all topic right of so the point was <laughs> yeah um i William Friedkin's a good example because you can be a completionist there's some stuff that's like i mean, guess you can with a lot of stuff but just looking at christopher Plummer's resume because i pulled it up to find the that windchill movie like it would be a lifelong pursuit to see everything he was ever in. Um, yeah, for sure. And so I, I think I, um, I, I don't think I grew the, the completionist like nerve when I, because I came of age as a fan at a time when things just not being available was more common, you know, or at least like, even if not available, like it cost money, you know, yeah. like I, you know, there are a lot of bands that when I was in high school, I would have loved to have everything by, um, 
but uh it costs money you know um but then see now now i'm realizing that like the thing that was maybe a bad, a bad example because the thing i am most likely to be completionist about is a band or a musical artist like i i have like there are there are artists where i have pretty much every album um like a physical copy of it yeah like well it, this is also this is going to be like hey kids gen z you, you're not gonna you're not gonna believe this because now <laughs> you go to amoeba and even a used copy of a record is going to be close to 20 bucks yeah the time, you know i was able to get at vintage vinyl in st louis over the course of however many months get the entire talking heads discography for about three bucks a pop on, on vinyl yeah um, that's yeah you can't do that anymore i do miss vinyl being a little less fashionable i mean it's like it's nice that they're still making vinyl at all you know for like new albums and even like reissuing old ones stuff like that and that's like mm-hmm. it is cool that there's a market out there for it but yeah i do i do miss the dollar bins having better stuff in them yeah yeah um although i did recently come across in the dollar bin at um the last bookstore um oh my god now i'm drawing a blank on we did the or you weren't that you weren't on it uh but aaron newworth and i did a sydney poitier profile yeah and what's the movie with uh shelly winters that like where he like befriends the blind girl anyway oh. i but it's a no. Jerry. I feel like it, it has the word blue in it. A patch of blue. A patch of blue. Yeah, and that's I think I want to say it's a Jerry Goldsmith score. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a patch of blue. And I found that in the dollar bin at the last bookstore, um, which has a great. I know it's a bookstore, but it has a great final selection. I don't know if you ever go down that way. No, I hadn't uh, even noticed that section of the. There, uh, but I don't go there that often. Yeah, it's it's on the first floor. If you just like sort of make a hard right as soon as you walk in the front door, okay. it's over there. Yeah. Oh, I know. I've seen that section. Yeah, I haven't really looked yeah. through it, but yeah, I know what you're talking about now. Anyway, um, back so to, anyway, so, yeah, but yeah, Are music there... I'm more likely to. But I think I, uh, I there's just too like I you I've said before in the in like the big picture, I'm one of those people who like like quixotically believes that I will eventually see every movie right. ever made. But that's not really being a, a completionist. Um, I don't I don't have that that itch that i guess i did once a t- once upon a time with bands and then i never really had with uh with um directors or or actors that's interesting are there directors though that i'm sure there's some that incidentally you are currently complete on sure like newer directors like right yeah you know but even then like i was gonna say ari aster but like I didn't see he made short films before he made features. So I haven't. Well, seen yeah, anything. I think when people talk about completionism, they're mainly talking about like the feature work, um, yeah. not like seeing every uh, music video that Spike Jones directed or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. So uh, there probably are some more recent ones that I just have. Yeah, I've seen everything because uh, it's been easy for me to. Um, and then. Uh, I, I guess by by tradition, we're cagey about who our next profile um, subject oh, sure. is. Um, even though, like, if you follow me on Letterboxd, you'll probably, you'll, you'll probably yeah. figure it out. Uh, I believe by the time we record our next profile, I will be a completionist. But I, that's just because this director has a pretty short and almost entirely uh, accessible CV. 
Yeah, which is always always nice. Yeah, there seems yeah. to be like a group of directors that just kind of assumed people will be complete on. Like uh, Paul Thomas Anderson kind of falls in that category. Um, I think David Fincher, to a degree, it usually feels like. Well, I didn't see the one. I mean, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say it feels like he's one where like usually people will have like one missing. Yeah, with Paul Thomas Anderson, he did make like a concert film for like cigaros or what i can't remember what the band was hmm. um so I mean, yeah obviously uh, he, he made a bunch of music videos but he also made some sort of i don't remember there being a concert film he did do like a 15 minute thing with uh oh, no, it was johnny greenwood it was 54 minutes so it's not a, it's yeah june oh yeah yeah from 2015 i forgot about that and i did see that <laughs> ah, okay so i haven't seen that with Fincher, what would I be missing? Have I? Well, I'm not. I haven't seen The Killer yet, but like, yeah, before that, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I'm. I missing. hadn't seen Alien Three until like the week I saw The Killer. I finally saw that, and you liked it. I did very much. Yeah, um, I, I remember liking Alien Three. But like Wes Anderson is kind of in the same group. Sofia Coppola, um, I think Darren I've never seen it somewhere. Never oh, seen somewhere. Man, you would love somewhere. I'm you sure wanna, I would. You want to borrow that anytime? It's on my shelf. Okay. Uh yeah, yeah, I'm sure I would. Um Aronofsky, there's a bunch I've skipped because I'm just not a big fan. Yeah, I, I think mostly these are the ones that kind of like as I was kind of scrolling through my list of like recent films that I've liked, um, these were the kind of the ones the names that jumped out as ones that people usually present rankings for whenever they have a new movie out. And usually that's sure, like yeah. a sign that people are like reason it seems like a lot of people are reasonably complete on. So then like the Wachowski Is it just that the that directors who have enough films that you can rank them all in under 280 characters is that I, I mean i think that's part of it but like the coen brothers are kind of in this group too i mean i haven't seen lady killers um that's the only one i haven't seen too let's watch it together let's watch it tonight yeah okay. um but it, that's another one where it seems like every time there's a new coen brothers thing which like who knows when they'll have another movie together at this point but it feels like people are constantly ranking all their movies because it seems like most people who are kind of in our group of cinephiles have seen most, if not all of them. Um, yeah, but I guess that's when you're talking about directors who are like currently working and currently producing good stuff. I guess like the completionism thing means like, like what you were talking about with, I already forgot what it was called. The, uh, the, what was it called? The, uh, freaking made for TV movie that you were Oh, jailbreakers. Yeah. Jailbreakers. Um, like having that itch of like, well, he he made this movie and I haven't seen it. No one says it's good, but I have to see it to fill out the roster. Not like I'm going to see every Coen Brothers or Fincher movie, or whatever, because I think it'll be good. Yeah, know? that's true. I, I I like that impulse of like, which I guess yeah. Again, with music, I used to have it more. Now I, I'm guilty of like I mostly stream everything. I mean, I still buy records. Up until recently, I still buy records pretty regularly, but um, uh, yeah, I definitely remember like there are there are Neil Young albums, you know, um, that are not considered like his right. his, yeah. his his good albums. Um, uh, like uh, there's the one that's like all like doo-wop style stuff. It's just like, but I like bought those on CD, but again like they were used and I could get them for three or four bucks, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, no, that's, that's an interesting point about like the expectation of quality versus like just trying to see it just for a sense of like, maybe there's something interesting in it. Um, cause I kind of had two tiers of the directors that I could think of that I was complete on. And I, the second tier I put together, I thought of it as like, well, this was a little bit harder to get complete on for like reasons of availability or, um, mostly i was thinking about stuff like that or just yeah mostly like accessibility but kind of looking at the list now there's also like these are directors who had like a big range of quality too and like catching up on their stuff or in some cases keeping up on their stuff has meant like taking a big risk um so like the first one that came to mind was gus van sant i've seen every gus van sant movie and there's a lot in there that people really don't like i only really don't like like two of them but um like I put off even cowgirls get the blues forever because people thought said it was so bad. I ended up really liking it, but um, yeah, that was one that took a bit of, um, and it has taken a bit of work to stay up on. Like seeing uh, Sea of Trees when it first came out was like one just hard to do because it barely got a release, um, yeah. and two I just wasn't looking forward to it because it was just so uh, pilloried in, in the press. Um, and Terrence Malick has been kind of in the same boat. Um, you know, he kind of came back into critical favor with a hidden life, but his post tree of life, pre hidden life stuff was so mixed review, like mm-hmm. and mostly badly reviewed. Um, certainly Michael Bay has been like a, a thing where I've been intermittently uh, convinced I should probably just give up on, but I keep going back um, mostly to solid rewards. Um and then like catching up with all the Godard stuff for our episode, mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff that I was like, Oh God, I guess I got to slog through this. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe life's just too short, but again, like I, uh, at the same time, I still think I'm going to watch everything. Um, I wish letterboxd had a feature to like show you which directors you've seen. Cause I know it knows if I go to a director, it'll say hundred percent. Why can't I just show me everyone I've seen hundred percent on? Well, the thing that sucks about it. So I mostly love letterboxd, but they'll include stuff that like i'm trying to think of a good example here um because they don't always just have like the features on there they'll have like sometimes commercials or music videos that are kind of like yeah aside like, the point of what i'm trying to figure out yeah mini series often yeah and like it, this is especially bad for actors because it'll have like every documentary they appeared in as a talking head right. and it's yeah. like that's unfunctional for or like i'm looking at michael bay's page right now it doesn't include any of the work he did outside of features of which there's been tons but it does include a film he has not made yet okay <laughs> yeah and which so isn't even in production which seems like it's unfair to list on on a site like letterbox which isn't like a production website it's yeah. you know kind of yeah. a backwards looking thing uh so even if to... letterbox had such a feature is what i'm trying to say they uh, it, it really wouldn't give you what you're looking for um there are definitely things that like I'll be completionist with. And then, you know, what they, it's like what they say about like having a diet ex- regimen or, or an eating regimen. Like if you, if you fall off one day, just get back on the horse the next day. Right. I'm pretty, I'm actually good about that with diet and exercise. I'm not good about that with like, if I miss a director's movie, then it's like, well, I guess I'm out on this. Or like, <laughs> I mean, I guess even like franchises too, like, I never got around to seeing ghost protocol in the theater. And then I never saw another mission impossible movie. Um, to your, yeah. your, uh, your great loss. I would say that's what I, that's what I hear. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, franchises are trickier, trickier because there's a sense of continuity where you're like, I mean, Mission Impossible is very episodic where you could watch any of them and like sure. basically get it. Like there's going to be small references to prior films, but nothing's too substantial. But I get that sense of things. With directors, though, like if I miss one and it's the director I like, I'm still likely going to catch their next one. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's true. But I guess I don't. I no longer feel the urge that I have to try and try to. Um, I'm trying to think. There are like um, some, or there's at least one coming to mind. Directors that are like obscure enough that like the fact that I've seen all three of their features like uh is notable and i will hopefully keep that up so like um uh the alex and andrew smith the bro- brothers who made oh, right. a, a movie you and i were talking about off mic just a couple days ago called the slaughter rule um i saw that when it when it came out um most because i was fascinated by the soundtrack um but uh but then they made a movie called winter in the blood that played at LA Film Fest or actually premiered at LA Film Fest um back when that used to exist. Um and I used to get uh um press passes. Yeah. Uh and then their last film was 2017's Walking Out, which I also saw at the premiere at Sundance. So not only have I seen all three of their films theatrically, <laughs> I've been at two of the three world premieres of their, yeah. their movies. So that like is a record that I kind of stumbled into and then realized I had. And now I'm like, okay, if the Smith brothers make another movie, I got to be there because that's my, that's there you guys. I've established. Yeah. Yeah. And and like, they make good movies. Sure. Sure. Yes. I mean, similarly, um, now I haven't seen, in the or a lot of Hong Sang Su's earlier work, but since I've started with his stuff, I've managed to see everything he's made since 2010, and I really have the sense that like I I can't be missing stuff. And there was like a period just post pandemic where there were a couple out there that I wasn't able to see theatrically, and then I had to go back on home video. I was like, well, is this the part where I get off the train? I was like, no, no, I got to got to keep going. <laughs> um, yeah, um. I just want to point out that uh, th- before we move on from the Smith brothers, it's because of the Smith, Smith, Smith brothers and the movie winter in the blood that I already knew who Lily Gladstone was even before certain women. Yeah. She's, yeah. Yeah. She's in that. It's one of my, one of my claims. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta be Lily Gladstone complete. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I guess, I mean, this episode could just be us like going back and forth on what are we completers about, but like, um, I guess I'd like to get into like the bigger questions of, uh, is, is the impulse just like a, a nerdy thing or is it an academic? Like, I, I mean that in two different ways. Like, uh, I should have, the first one I should have said like a geek thing or right. is it like an academic, like I will, like you were saying, I will better understand, um, this artist if I, if I see it all. I think yeah for me there's a sense always that i'll slightly be missing something on someone if i don't see the avenues and i think it probably started as like a nerdy geek thing for me of like just wanting to like conquer it or whatever but i think having gone through that with several directors or um coming close to it or like seeing things just by dint of them having directed it even if it's not something that's the one i'm completely on like 
there are a bunch of Stanley Donnan movies, for example, I've watched just because he directed them. Um, and I don't always like them, but there are some that I have discovered along the way that I absolutely love that I never would have watched if not for that basic impulse. Or there's like little fascinating avenues or facets of their work that I did find in strange films. I'm trying to look at my list, not trying to think of a good example. Well, Howard Hawks is definitely one where like he's made like the whole gamut of like total masterpieces in some films that are just God awful. But like, I don't always agree with kind of the consensus around what those are on either end. So like I watched um, a song is born, which is a remake of ball of fire that he made like seven years after ball of fire. And I'm not even a person who likes ball of fire that much. That's kind of my big, like, diversion thing from most people who like Howard Hawks. I yeah, I love Bullet Fire. I know. I I don't I've tried twice. I don't get it. I don't really find it all that funny. It's um, the it's the uh oh my god, I'm trying I'm, I'm so stupid. Uh it's the it's the screenwriter. It's the screenwriter? Oh, um who wrote it? That's Billy Wilder. Oh, that yeah. was like trying to like it's uh, that I think that's what my guess is that's what turns you off is that you're not a Billy Wilder fan and it's it's, it's very wild their humor yeah. Yeah. yeah um and so i put like i wasn't looking forward at all to watching a song is born because it's a remake that is not considered all that good of a movie i already don't like but i end up really liking a song is born um because it's like much more hoxian than it is uh wilder um so there's a lot for me to get out of that so i'm like i'm glad that i sought that out but like on that same week i was i think this was during COVID. i was just checking his movies out from the library i caught up with uh land of the pharaohs which is like his big egyptian epic um that has gotten some like notable reviews of late and more people are kind of like this is a really interesting movie i didn't think it was good at all like i hated watching it um and like there's almost nothing for me to get from it but um yeah so i I think it like i said it started from kind of a nerd place and i think there's still a part of me that is operating on that level but i've also really enjoyed like definitely watching well i'm missing one on alan renee but like getting watching the bulk of his filmography there's so much weird stuff in there that's like it doesn't all work but you know even you can tell it's even from the masterpieces that he's constantly operating in a semi-experimental very avant-garde and very unique way that so even when it's not working it's like well he's giving me something that i can't see anywhere else so it's worth checking the stuff out have you seen his shorts as well no well i've seen a few of them but not all of them there's a there's a Blu-ray of five five shorts that I that I have. I've never watched it, but um, I'll lend it to you after I watch it. <laughs> yeah, I think I've seen all the ones because I remember when that came out. Okay. But I think I've seen all the ones on that disc. I'd have to double check. Um, and I think I felt I don't know, some some of his shorts work for me. Some of them don't, as with okay. anything else, I guess. But like a lot of the stuff he made during his shorts career was like very much of like. Well, television doesn't exist yet, so we need to give something people some we need to give people something like a National Geographic special on a major historical figure. And like there are all kinds of theatrical shorts that are like 20 minutes long that are just kind of doing that. Um but then he made a movie about um I'm trying to remember which library it was. Yeah, it's just the National Library of France that's awesome. And it's just like how libraries worked in the mid-20th century and seeing all the like physical labor that goes into that is super cool. Um, so yeah, you're um, real quick. What you were saying about Howard Hawks and ball of fire and the remake, which I've already forgotten the name of a song uh, is born. 
the song is born. I've, I know it's come up on the podcast before. I've always wanted to do an episode on directors who remade their own movies. Cause there's oh, a yeah. surprising lot. Hitchcock, Leo McCary, Mikkel Hanukkah. Uh, there's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of people out there who remade their own, their own movies. And it's a fascinating thing to, to think about. Um, anyway. Uh, so I think that, uh, you know, and the listeners have probably, if they've been listening long enough, probably understand that I, I do exhibit some like compulsive behavior. Sure. I, I am a very like structure ordered person. I let my sort of like rules and lists dictate a lot of, a lot of stuff. Um, and so you'd think that would like lend itself to completionism. And, um, there's an alternate version of my path in life in which I am a, a completionist much like, I mean, you know, who we should have had almost as a guest is, uh, our, our, your friend of mine, Kyle Anderson, who like when he's, when he gets into something, he's like, okay, I like Jallo now. I'm going to watch every single Jallo I can get my hands on. <laughs> or yeah, like, he does, you know, I, he does all like all of Dr. Who or all of the, we did a, a Patreon, um, I guess like a little over a year ago, uh, what he was talking about, like, uh, common writer and those, uh, and I can't remember what they're called, but like the sort of like, like the stuff that like power Rangers comes from, like the big, like oh, yeah, yeah. acting that he's like gone so deep on that kind of stuff. Um, and so there is an alternate version of me that is, that is, is like that. And I think, um, a big revelation for me actually was getting into television. Okay. <laughs> because I was not like, as a kid, I watched kids shows and stuff, but as I got into middle school and definitely in high school, I was mostly like, I was a punk rocker who thought I was like, who thought like television was lame with a few right. examples, with a few exceptions. I would watch like late night reruns of, of like Simpsons, Seinfeld and news radio. I would watch that. And I'd usually watch Monty Python if it was on or on PBS or whatever, but I mostly did not watch a lot of TV and it wasn't really until college that I like became friends with some nerds who were big Buffy fans and the show had already been gone going for seasons at that point. Um, and, but they would have like uh weekly, like Buffy angel watch parties. Cause they are those shows are back to back at the time. Um, and I started just going and I, I, I think kind of like realizing that television in its sort of more classical form is something that you can just jump in and out of kind of maybe altered my brain chemistry in mm. art toward art in general. Like why not treat it all like that? Now, increasingly like, um, post streaming and post new golden age of TV, a lot of stuff does get treated. Like you have to watch all of it. Um, yeah. which I think, um, that's the mini series format. That's not what a series is supposed to be, but, um, I think we've, we've kind of lost that battle, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, uh, but, um, but yeah, I think my, my relationship, because then I became like, I went from being like a television eschewer to being a, uh, a, a television like connoisseur, uh, in a very short amount of time. And, um, that lasted for about 15 years of my life from like <laughs> 2000 to 2015. And then I kind of 
fell off. I've been since the pandemic, I've been getting back into like stuff that I missed over that 2015 to 2020 uh, period. I've kind of come to like have some more respect for TV and, and see that there are still some things that are done right. But anyway, this is all a very long winded way of saying that uh, my I, TV broke me of my completionism or my compulsion toward that sort of thing. It's interesting because for a lot of people, I think TV and especially the rise of like TV on DVD. And then especially with streaming, I feel like TV's become more of a completionist thing. Cause like I had friends where I was trying to get them to watch. I remember, no, I jumped in at the very end of like the run of arrested development, which like not the best example for a show you can kind of just jump in on, but like I had friends who refused to watch it. Cause like, no, I got to watch it from the beginning. And yeah. even like a couple of years later, when I was getting into scrubs. I was like, you guys want to watch some scrubs? I'm like, well, I haven't seen it from the start. It's like, who cares? <laughs> you yeah. can watch scrubs literally anytime. No, um, you're right. That, that, that has become more. And I think that's part of why I got so frustrated with television yeah. or with, with the, the cultural conversation about television um, is that that's not what I felt. That's not what I fell in love with about the, the medium that like uh, the thing that the things I fell in love with about television are the things that distinctly make it different from movies. Um, and uh, it seems like post new golden age or mid mid new golden age, a lot of like uh, movie people sort of came on board with TV, but decided to treat it like movies. Yeah, for sure. We, uh, Julie and I just the other night watched an episode from season one of the West wing. Um, the one where uh, Bartlett's considering uh, or being pressured to commute the sentence of someone who's going to get sentenced to death and such a perfect hour of television. You can yeah. jump into it. It gives you everything you need to know to watch that episode. And is that still... the one with Carl Malden? Yes. So do you know the Bible that he's holding in that episode is the same Bible from on the waterfront? Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. He... I did not know that. He, he he kept it all all these years and he was like oh i get to play a priest again i'm gonna drag out this this bible drag out this bible um <laughs> i mean he was quite old maybe it was quite an effort who can say yeah um yeah i had something i was gonna say about that uh well it's, i mean this is not a pod this is not an episode about television we talked about tv last week but i just want to make the one thing i want to make a case for is that people a lot of people came on board with TV with the Sopranos, which on the one hand, it did seem to push things forward more towards the serialized thing. And that Sopranos, like it had a memory, like everything that happened to right. the characters had happened to them in every future episode. But I think this idea that the Sopranos is so heavily serialized is actually kind of wrong. If you go back and watch Sopranos episodes, everyone has a beginning, middle and end. Every episode has its own story that it's telling. It's part of a bigger story. But uh, anyway, that's just my uh, going to bat for the Sopranos and why it's um, not, you know, I don't know, Game of Thrones, which I think is much more guilty of just like, here's the next hour of the, the story. Yeah, I mean, that's got to come from adapting a novel, too. Um, But I mean, you've seen the problems many times through. Do they not do some episodes that if they don't end with this title card explicitly have some sense of like a to be continued? Uh, No, I don't think Sopranos does cliffhangers the way that like um, even the West Wing would do. do... Well, yeah, they'd have two parts, which is more of a network thing. Yeah, Um, and they wouldn't even always be two parts because I remember watching the West Wing live and like sometimes you'd be reaching that like 
55 minute mark and you're like, I don't know if they're going to wrap this up. And sure enough, you get the TV continued and continue the next week. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's what I mean by a two parters. Okay. Um, and then of course, West wing had, um, the season two finale, which, um, ends on a cliffhanger of, uh, um, it's after Bartlett has like, uh, announced that he has MS, Yeah, you know, and they're all gaming, like how to do the press conference because you want to avoid the question of like, are you going to seek reelection? And, uh, he has a whole fucking awesome monologue where he curses God in a Catholic church yeah. and put, puts out a cigarette on the floor. Um, it's amazing. Awesome episode. And then, yeah, he, uh, um, the first question he ignores uh cj's advice and the first question is are you going to seek re-election and it ends yeah uh before he answers uh yeah but sopranos no i sopranos did not do um cliffhangers huh interesting yeah yeah all right what was the point um <laughs> i guess that that um that te- like i said television made yeah. me learn how to uh appreciate art um on its own, I guess, as well as part of the story. So here's a question. Uh, you own, as do I, the uh, Criterion on Sparta box set, which has all of her stuff, short films and features alike. Do you suspect that, or do you in any way aim to get through all of that? Uh, I sh- yes. It, yeah. Yeah. I, I would say anything that I, anything that I own and haven't seen, I do like, going back to my list that's part of my list i don't know if, i don't know if i'll ever get to it but like yeah. my list of things to see include the things that i own that have that i haven't seen including stuff like like i have the criterion uh, tiny furniture blu-ray which has creative nonfiction in it on its mm. first feature on which i've never watched like but i do mean to get to that someday because yeah. i own it and i should watch it and because i'm sure it's good i tend to like her as a director which tier list does this fall on oh it's way down Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah i've never yeah. actually counted the tiers on my list uh actually that's not true i bet i did once well no because I, I don't you have the three separate lists that's the those are the tiers i was referring to uh i have more than three lists oh, okay okay so um i have stuff i have to watch because i'm supposed to review it even though i don't really Right, movie reviews that much anymore, right. but I will. I will. I'll, I'll, I'll get back to it. Uh, I have that. I have stuff I have to watch for profiles. I have stuff. Uh, I'll have a list soon for stuff I have to watch before we do our uh, best of thing. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, after that, I have uh, one, two, three, four, five lists. And yeah, the stuff that I haven't seen that I own is literally the last of the five lists. So I might never get to it. Although one of those lists is, uh, how would you say? It's like a dead list. Like I'm no longer adding to one of these. Oh, sure. Yeah. I know. I'm no longer adding to two of these. So I guess I do have three living lists that I still add to. And then I have two lists of stuff that I just need to get to. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's a peek into my, uh, mind. So yeah, I might not be a completionist, but I am crazy. Don't worry. <laughs> Don't worry. There's still, <laughs> still some insanity lurking. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I have a few directors that I'm frustratingly like seemingly incapable of finishing completely. I'm one shy on, so I already mentioned one shy on the Coen brothers and Friedkin. 
Um, I also, and I mentioned one giant Alain Rene. I haven't seen uh, Not on the Lips, um, which is actually like one of the better distributed Alain Rene movies of all things. Um, but then like Tony Scott. So I haven't seen Beverly Hills Cop 2, but that's be- largely because I haven't seen Beverly Hills Cop 1. <laughs> and so in order to get Tony Scott complete, I need to also watch Beverly Hills Cop. I'm glad that you have that too. I was just saying that like on the one hand, when it comes to TV, yeah, you drop in and out. But when it comes to franchises, I do tend to want to watch them in order. I don't know um, if it's so much that I have that explicitly, but it's just that Beverly Hills Cops specifically is such a well-loved movie that to jump into the second one, which is not that well-loved, I feel like I should have like the same cultural grounding that people would have been going into that with. Um, yeah, I have a suspicion that you're not really going to like Beverly Hills Cop. I probably um, won't. Um, uh, but I have an affection for it, but it's, I mean, it's really more just like, it's less a Martin breast film than it is a, an Eddie Murphy showcase. Right. You know, which, um, which I can sometimes feel good about sometimes not. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think I, yeah, I, I used to be a, um, as a younger cinephile, I was more of a Joe Dante completionist, but I never, I never went back and watched Piranha. Oh, and I guess he had one before that too, called Hollywood Boulevard. That I don't even know about that one. Um, yeah, Joe Dante is a frustrating one but, to try to get through all of them. But yeah, as his goes on, there's more and more like stuff, and then like, yeah, like I don't know. If, um, is the second Civil War available now? For the longest time, it wasn't available anywhere. Um. And maybe part of my, like, that's part of my, like, I got too frustrated and I was like, I'm going to give up trying to be a, um, a completionist. Let's see. Second Civil War. Oh yeah. Now I can rent it. Maybe I will. Um, I don't even know what this is. It was a made for TV movie, but it, um, Jonathan Rosenbaum, who is one of the like most high profile Joe Dante stands (laughs) out there and has been, um, uh, consider second Civil War to be among his best films. Oh, wow. Um, he, he sort of put together, he was, Jonathan Rosemar referred to, I think it was, um, second civil war, or it would have been in order matinee, second civil war and small soldiers as Joe Dante's like war trilogy, even though they're not like specifically war movies, Yeah, you know, I guess second civil war, which I haven't seen is it's a, like an alternate history type thing. Um, but you know, matinee is war adjacent cold yeah. war adjacent and small soldiers is i guess a war uh <laughs> um, well and matinee also kind of like has the suggestion of vietnam being on the horizon um right yeah yeah uh second civil war man this has a stacked cast i'm seeing dan hedaya who else Bo bridges phil hartman james earl jones james coburn uh elizabeth pena dennis leary ron perlman Kevin McCarthy, the good one. Uh, yeah. Kevin Dunn, Dick Miller, of course. Of course, Dick Miller, yeah. Um, Roger Corman, Roger why not? Rance Howard, Robert Picardo, again, of course. He's in yeah. most of those. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I got to rent this then. Seriously. Um, and this is another HBO movie from the 90s that we should be able to stream. Come on. Yeah, yeah. But it's, uh, yes, at least it's rentable. Um, yeah. Uh, I forgot what I was going to say about Joe Dante. Ah, damn it. 
Oh, well. Other than that, he's great. But also you look at his list of movies and you're like, do I really want to seek out burying the X? Yeah. That was when he started, like he started making movies like, um, the whole, what is it? Is it called the, the whole? Hole? Yeah. Yeah. Which I saw, but not in 3d okay. frustratingly. Yeah. There's a lot of, a lot, a lot of stuff. There was, um, yeah. But like, I, know, I mean, I haven't seen explorers from his eighties run, but like that run from inner space, the burbs gremlins to matinee. I, mean, I haven't watched small soldiers since it came out. I should watch that again, but like, Oh, it's good. So that might continue this run, but like that four film run is as good as it gets. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see. I'm also one shy on Francis Ford Coppola. The only movie I haven't seen is Finian's rainbow. I own a copy. Haven't gotten okay. around to it. It's like a two and a half hour musical. There's a bunch of his stuff. I haven't seen actually. Um, yeah, that was hard to get as far as I did with him. Um, but, uh, just haven't gone all the way. Have you seen like, okay, if you were going to do directors or if you're going to do like uh completionism, like, does that mean like, if there are multiple cuts of a movie, do you need to like, it depends with, with the outsiders. Have you seen the theatrical cut, theatrical cut and quote unquote, the complete novel? No, now I can't remember which one I did see. Cause I rented it and I can't remember which one the DVD came with. I've, I've only seen, because I've only seen the outsiders on VHS. So I definitely have not seen the, the, uh, the, the quote unquote complete novel, but, um, I know there's a lot more Rob Lowe in the complete novel, um, which we all need. I think he was the character who got, uh, cut the most out of that. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm always interested in Coppola's alternate cuts, but I haven't, I, I own, but I haven't seen the new cut of Godfather three. Um, and I'm really interested in watching his new cut of Twix, but I haven't seen that, the new cut of that either. Um, and like, I, I'm not interested at all in watching like the like chronological Godfather cut they did for TV. Like I'll never, I'll probably yeah. never get around to that because spend that much time on something that probably is dumb. <laughs> like who cares? Yeah. I used to have that on VHS and I still never watched it. And I, I think I yeah. sold it or I gave a lot of VHS to Tyler at one point. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he, maybe he still has it. <laughs> yeah. One of my big outstanding ones right now, those I've the only David Lynch film I haven't seen is Inland Empire, which is very much available on Criterion Channel. Um, need to do it. Yeah, I guess I've seen all of his, unless you count like you know Six Men Getting Sick or like the like right. really like you know the things that were like installation films or whatever. I I haven't seen all of those, but I guess I've seen all of his movies. Yeah, man, he has yeah. a lot of. Random shorts. No idea. Uh, yeah, but I mean, that's also good. like David Lynch was, um, one of my real introductions to cinephilia after, like I've said before that like Barton Fink was the movie that got me like seeking out movies that weren't different than what I expected. But, um, I'm not sure where I first, oh, wait. I was speaking of completionism. <laughs> I okay. used to be a Smashing Pumpkins completionist. And so I bought the soundtrack to Lost Highway. Oh, sure. And um so the uh which was so that I, like so Trent Reznor had been like sort of the de facto music 
producer on Natural Born Killers, which is a movie that I was obsessed with, um, and a soundtrack album that I was obsessed with. And so, like, oh, he's doing another, like, sort of curating another soundtrack um, for this other movie, and it has a pumpkin song on it, and it turns out it's really good. So I was like, okay, I have to see this movie. And then, like, figuring out who David Lynch was, and, like, I checked out a book on David Lynch from the library, and that's when I learned, read about, like, six men getting sick and all the like early, yeah. early shorts and stuff. Um, so like I got on board so early that, uh, yeah, I might, he might be one that I'm, I mean, it's not that difficult to be a completionist anymore. Cause he's yeah. not, he doesn't, he's not putting out new stuff left and right. And he's not directing like the odd episode of, you know, uh, new girl or anything, <laughs> <laughs> but what a site that would be. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, maybe he's one I, uh will stay completionist with yeah there's still that rumor that he's working on something new but we'll see yeah uh did you when did you move to los angeles uh 2011 oh okay so yeah so you weren't you weren't around when he did his like sort of gorilla 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 for your consideration campaign for laura dern for an empire no i mean i think if i had been around i think it actually seeing you know an empire would have been an unavoidable fact i wouldn't have been able to right. skip it but alas yeah. yeah yeah well he was set up at the corner of uh was it hollywood and la brea maybe oh, where that mosaic church is i think uh that is Hollywood and la brea yeah yeah i think that's where he was like set up with a big sign and like a big fake cow for some reason i don't know it's just typical lynch you know yeah yeah all right we, we, we keep getting off of the and then maybe it's because I'm a disappointment for this episode because I'm not enough of a completionist. Well, no, you're like the counterpoint of like, yeah, who cares? Why does it matter? Um, but are I guess are are there directors you're passionate enough about that you feel like an absence for not having seen all of their work, either because you've heard it so good or that you do feel like there are nooks and crannies you like to fill out? Uh. Yeah, I guess, I mean, and I swear I'm not saying this because you mentioned him, but Alain René is one that, like, the films of his that I have seen, um, especially Hiroshima and Marion Bad and Jatem Jatem, especially those, um, are, I think, some of the greatest films I've ever seen. And so the fact that there are so many things that I haven't seen does feel like what, what am I doing to myself? I'm like denying myself probably some, some great pleasures. Um, but then, you know, I've seen stuff of his that there's, I haven't seen anything I dislike, but like Stavisky is not like, yeah, that's know. tougher. Uh, and I didn't, I need to go back. Cause I have the criterion disc. The first time I saw Muriel, which is, I've only seen it once when I saw Muriel, I didn't, I didn't, uh, warm to it that much, but I feel like there's something in it that, I will love if I go back and watch it. Yeah. Maria is still one I'm trying to figure out. I've seen it, I think three times and okay. each time I get a little bit closer to really digging it. Um, but it's one that I kind of think about a fair deal. Yeah. I mean, Renee is interesting because he gets so far away from where he started a- as he goes while still remaining as experimental, you know, his films become funnier or at least uh, more, more comedic, you would say it's, you know, it, he kind of like exemplifies the stereotype of like French comedy where it's like amusing, but not quite funny sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But 
I, I love his later films for different reasons than I like his former ones for sure. Or his earlier stuff. Um, I still didn't definitely recommend that. I mean, like when I did a couple of years ago, my hundred favorite movies as a series of double features, I paired wild grass with um, last year at Marion bad. And they're like tonally very different movies um, and definitely stylistically very different, but there's some kind of like kernel there that kind of, Make, made them fit together in an interesting way. Certainly, like some of the character motivations are the same, um, but they're just attacked from a very different angle. Um, another director I know you're a big fan of. What's your percentage on Rivet? Oh, I've still got a ways to go there. Uh, let's see. Rivet, Letterboxd, films directed by Jacques Rivet. I still need to see. Yeah, this is another one where it's like a rough letterbox page because like one of his top eight is his short as part of that Lumiere and Company project that they did in the 90s where like a bunch of directors made films kind yeah. of in the style of those early films. It comes um, up, that, that movie comes up so often that I should probably just watch it. because I know, right? It would knock out a whole lot and really take care of a lot of letterbox stuff. Yeah. Um, well, th there's a new restoration finally playing of Le Morfou, which is the last film he made in the sixties, which I've wanted to see for like a decade now, but um, has never been made available in any legal way. And even the bootleg copies look like hell. Um, so that's playing at the Egyptian in two weeks. Um, and I cannot okay. wait for that. Um, but I still need to see both parts of Joan the Maid, which is a, I mean, even by his standards, a very long film. Um, story of Marie and Julia and I need to see Vassavoir. So that, there's a, quite a few that I need to see there. I've probably only seen like half of his features or so. Um, weirdly, because I, when I worked at video stores, I would just take home movies every night and just watch movies. Yeah. So I saw Vassavoir when it first came out on DVD and it made an impression on me. Like I never forgot the movie, but not, not enough of an impression to like look up Rivet, and so it wasn't oh, sure. i was older and started getting into Rivet more and and stuff that i then went back and realized oh that's who made yeah that, like like two hour and 40 minute like comedy <laughs> 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 that made such an impression on me when i was 19 or whatever yeah oh man i feel like i had one like that but i can't think of what it would have been i mean i guess like the funny answer to that is that i watched you know france ford coppola's jack when i was 11 or whatever sure yeah there's definitely yeah um yeah stuff like i'm trying yeah now i'm trying to think of more examples of like um well i don't know not that he's a great auteur but like i wasn't watching the never-ending story because i was watching a wolfgang peterson movie at the sure. time I was watching it because i was a i was a kid um that one though holds up it might even be better you know sometimes there are movies that you yeah uh you come back to when you, from when you were a kid and they're bad sometimes they're still good sometimes they're good in different reasons and uh yeah never ending story i rewatched for the first time in probably 30 plus 35 years <laughs> uh, a couple of years ago uh good movie i've never seen it and weirdly like uh oh what's the um what's the term you've used tongue-in-cheek like like it's surprisingly like more relevant today than ever i guess um, okay. uh because like it's a fantasy story but it's not like and it's it's a fantasy adventure but like 
all of the obstacles this kid faces, he defeats through his own like self actualization and like self esteem and like it's essentially like a self care slash mental health type of <laughs> story. Interesting, which, which which feels much more you know twenty twenties, yeah, um, the nineteen eighties. But uh, yeah, good movie, never ending story. Huh, right on. Um, yeah, but Revet's definitely one that I, I want to, I would like to work towards being complete on. I, you know, I'd love to, like I said, watch all the Stanley Donnan films. Um, I definitely intend to be, to watch all of Ingmar Bergman's films, but I'm kind of purposefully putting some of those off as like a way to still having more Bergman movies to watch, you know, God willing, I'll live yeah. probably in another 40, 50 years. Um, and I don't want to just take care of all of that within like, what it'd be like 15 or so 16. Yeah. Um, another 40, 50 years. That sounds like a curse. I know, I'm, but I'm not planning on being around that. Long. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll keep smoking. You'll get there. Um, yeah. Visconti, I'm close enough that I know I can get there. Um, but also far enough that it won't just be something I'll knock out in a weekend kind of thing. Um, yeah, and I, I, kind I'm of the same boat. I've got like I've got like three to four fleas to go, but I know I'll get there. Yeah, so you're you go, you definitely go deeper than I know. This came up when uh, um, I think on the aforementioned Twitter we were talking about um, how much, like, what percentage of the uh, they shoot pictures, don't they? Oh yeah, you've seen, and I'm in like the six hundreds, like low six hundreds, maybe out of out of the thousand and i think you were considerably higher than that i'm curious myself um yeah i mean visconti is just one of those guys who every film of his i've seen they like hit me on such a personal level that i can't help but want to see more of them because it's like you know they're not all my favorite movies but i'm always shocked by how resonant they are with me like beyond just like appreciating them as cinema or as drama or whatever else it's like these feel like a, some a reflection of some part of me that i'm not getting from anywhere else um and fellini's just like fellini's just a blast like every film of fizz i've seen is like a total gas um yeah i've seen 768 from the they should, the most recent they shoot pictures list uh, i'm even less than i thought like 540 i thought i was in the 600s but ugh. You know, I'm only missing one in the top 50 and it's Shoah, which I really want to see, but it's like so long. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's, I, 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 um, lists cause I'm a list based person. Um, I get more excited to be completionist about maybe a list than I do about, um, uh, an artist. Are there lists that you're close to complete on or complete on that you're particularly proud of? I guess it's just my own personal list now that I think about it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That I like I like finishing my own personal lists. Well, um, if you only have like these what lists are you talking about? You say you had these like three master lists or whatever that you're constantly. Yeah, working but I on. guess I have many like I like um, you know, every time there's a profile profile episode, I make a list of like the movies I oh, want to okay. see before before we watch it and I, I enjoy scratching those those off the yeah. But uh yeah, I guess I just don't have this, but I, I'm not. But I don't. I'm not against completionism enough to be like antagonistic. I can't be the. It can't be your foil here. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not asking for that. I'm just interested for the counterpoint. 
Yeah, Letterbox has that section of like your stats. It's like progress on various famous lists. Oh yeah. And there are three movies that I have not seen on the AFI list. Um, none of which I'm particularly enthused to see, but also feel like it's kind of dumb that I haven't seen them. Um, okay, what are they? Sophie's Choice, Yankee Doodle Dandy, and Ben Hur. I've never seen any of those either. Yeah, I mean Yankee Doodle Dandy, I'll probably like because I mean literally Julie and I talked about this. We'll throw on any Michael Curtiz movie, um, no matter how like random, because they seem to always deliver, and you know I'm sure it does. But like Ben Hur's, that's what it's almost four hours long. Good God. And Sophie's Choice, I don't know, I run pretty hot and cold in Meryl Streep. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've, there are 12 that I haven't seen on that list. Which ones? All right, hold on. I gotta pull it up. Well, the three I just mentioned. Yeah. Hold on, how do I... Uh... You gotta toggle uh, Fade Watched. Okay. I'm just saying Not Watched. Okay. Okay, this is embarrassing. Some of these, here. Oh, yeah. There's one that I'm so embarrassed <laughs> to admit that I have never seen. Okay, I've never seen City Lights. Good movie. I've, I've never seen The Grapes of Wrath. Oh sure, yeah, that's a good. I've one. I've never seen High Noon. Yeah, it's all right. Okay, here's the one that everyone's gonna like unsubscribe okay. to the podcast. I've never seen King Kong. Whoa, that's just like more strange than it is like shameful you know yeah well what's especially shameful is that i've seen the 70s and the 2000s <laughs> i've just never seen the original i don't know if i was I mean, like the 2000s one is just like you're watching new movies you would have caught it that makes sense the yeah. 70s one is strange to go out of your way to see but having not seen the original yeah um maybe i'm just, maybe I'm just waiting for the right chance which like tcm fest this year showed it yeah but it was like Friday at 11 a.m., which is when oh, I was sure. at work, you yeah. know? Um, uh, yeah. Okay. So that's four. Okay. More embarrassment to go. Never seen Midnight Cowboy. I've never <laughs> seen Shane. Shane's good. I mean, Shane's one of those movies that like every like dad movie buff is like so enthused about. And you kind of like, yeah. I don't know. I feel like I kind of write those movies off, but Shane delivers. Uh, I've never seen Sullivan's Travels. I do. I hate Sullivan's Travels. Actually, I know you're not a a, a fan of uh, of Preston Sturgis. Yeah, uh, I've never seen Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Oh, that's so much fun. Um, I've never seen Swing Time. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's. I don't know. It's tough to say. It's like the best Astaire Rogers musical, and it usually gets kind of, kind of considered that. But it's it's definitely a good time. Um, and then yeah, the three you mentioned. What are the I've, I've seen. As far as Fred Astaire, I've seen Top Hat. Yeah, Top Hat's the other big one. And I've seen The Gay Divorcee. Is that both of them or is that just him? No, that's both of them. But it's that's like, it yeah. was the first movie they were in and they're like only kind of side characters. Right. Um, that Because they weren't, either of them weren't stars yet. And they were so like eye-catching that uh, that's the one that kind of spurred them on to be... Oh wait, no. I'm I'm thinking of the wrong movie. Gay oh, Divorcee. Okay. They do have kind of main roles in. I was thinking of Flying Down to Rio. Um, oh, okay. Which they're definitely not the stars. Um, um, yeah, I'd have to rewatch some of these to remember which one I like best. But it was either but, I think it was either to- Top Hat or Shall We Dance. I'm wondering if maybe my like hot take is that I'm not a Fred Astaire fan. 
Yeah, I kind of. I could get some juice out of out of going around calling myself a not Fred Astaire fan. <laughs> um, I, I I see what you mean. I mean, the thing is that like every movie of his, though, there's one he'll do some dance number that's like unbelievable to watch, and just like you're like, how can a human body do that? So they always at least deliver that much. But he's so like kind of whatever as an actor that it's kind of like hard to get there from there. But yeah. on the other hand, I love Ginger Rogers. So, you know, that okay. goes a long way. Have you seen, speaking of Fred Astaire, um, Ruben Mamoulian's 1957 Silk Stockings, the musical remake of Ninochka? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's not great, but it no. has a hilarious cast. Like Peter Lorre singing is hilarious. Yeah. But it has Fred Astaire and Sid Charisse have a musical number and dance number about all of the sort of like mid fifties, like, um, theater cinematic presentation, like techniques. Yeah, that's right. Like they're singing about like cinemascope and Todd AO and all this. Yeah. It's such a strange, like time capsule. Yeah. This is what audiences knew about. They knew about all the different formats. Yeah. I mean, I guess like if like the new, like mean girls musical had a song about like, Dolby Atmos. <laughs> I almost feel like I was kind of saying that like dismissively, but I almost feel like they could. Cause like either the, in the audience, there's like bros who like seek out the Dolby theater for everything they watch. Um, or there's girls who know bros like that who yeah. are like <laughs> sick of being dragged to the premium formats for everything and paying, you know, $25. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess I'm, um, I don't know if I'm I'm not as format uh purist as, as you are. Um but uh definitely Natalie is like someone who like doesn't care. Like the convenience is, is first. So like uh you know, she didn't come with me to see the screening of May December that you and I and yeah. Julie were all at because she was like uh, it'll be on Netflix in a couple weeks. And then we get from Netflix a DVD, like for your consideration screener. And she was like, okay, oh, I could just watch that. And I'm like, you keep downgrading in terms of like quality. <laughs> and she's like, I don't care. Whatever is like the easiest way for me to watch this movie I want to watch. Yeah. I mean, it's depending on how soon she watches it, you know, the streaming option would be easier to queue up. But um, yeah, yeah, no, but I'm, I'm not. As, not as, like as a, of this recording, it's not streaming yet. Well, yeah, yeah. I'm not a uh, format guy necessarily. Like, it, really, the size of the screen kind of matters more to me. Okay. Um, than anything else. Um, because like I just saw uh, the new Hunger Games movie today, which I was like, I didn't really care about it at all. And then the trailer looked kind of interesting, and then it got like surprisingly good reviews. And so I ended up checking it out. I never really liking it, but I almost didn't see it because it's going to like the smaller kind of shoebox theaters in the next okay. week or so. Um, and I was like, you know big action movie spectacle thing. I really, really want to see if it's on a good screen. Um, but I definitely don't shell out for the like Dolby stuff. And IMAX is only if it's like something like Oppenheimer where like, you really got to make the effort. Um, so you, you said you liked the ballad of snakes. I did. And yeah. I, I I'm curious. I, I was not curious at all because I think uh, I was more of a hunger games. The movie, I've only read the first book and it wasn't very good. Um, I was more of a fan of the movies than you were i think going up to the last one i think we both you and i both uh were very unimpressed with that last with uh mocking jay part two that Um, is i sometimes note that as the worst movie i've ever seen it was certainly the one we're watching (laughs) it i most regretted being in the theater uh yeah it's pretty bad and so i wasn't uh, that interested but i i I don't think i realized that it um 
that Francis Lawrence is back as director. Yeah. And him, even though he made Mockingjay Part 2, which I don't like, um, he's a director that I... I'm almost completed on. I think um, Water for Elephants is the only one of his films that I haven't seen. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, but I mean, he didn't make that many. He made Constantine, which I'm a big fan of, and that's that's another one that I've sent, like, been vindicated on over time. More and more people have come around to uh, Constantine is cool as shit. Um, and then I Am Legend, which, you know, we've we've litigated yeah, yeah. so much on this podcast. Uh, yeah, I think Water for Elephants is the only one I haven't seen. Well, I'm just now learning he had a hidden Netflix movie last year. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> Never mind. What was it called? Slumberland. Yeah, that's right. Jason Momoa. This is literally the first I've heard of this movie. Yeah, I yeah I forgot about that one. Oh, well. Um, I guess I was off anyway. What is... We should wrap up because we're like yeah. way off. Um Okay, first off, what is your favorite Hunger Games movie? Definitely this new one, like oh, by really? a considerable okay. degree. Yeah. Okay. Because I, the only one that I've ever returned to and watched more than once is um, Catching Fire, the second one, the first one that Francis Lawrence did, which I really liked. Yeah, uh, that one's the that one's the most like a movie, and so I I do <laughs> like it the most of that original quadrilogy. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, this one's a considerable step up from all that. Okay. Uh, and then what is, because we talk about directors, what is the franchise, not necessarily that you're completest on, but that you've seen the most movies from? It's easy to be like a completion of something that has like three movies, but like how many James Bond movies have you seen or how many like, uh, you know, Saw movies or Friday the 13th movies? Yeah, because necessarily this is going to, tend towards something that's yeah had a ton of entries um well okay i've seen 11 james bond movies which is more than i would have guessed um i think i've seen eight off the top of my head so bond might take it just by dint of there being that many like my instinct was going to be that it would have been star wars because i've seen nine and like i didn't think i'd seen that many james bond movies but i can't think of another franchise that's had more than 11 entries that i would have been able to see more than that yeah, I guess not. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, yeah. And I should say for the Star Wars fans possibly yelling at this, I, I know there was the animated film, The Clone Wars, and nobody cares. And then you're, you're also not counting like uh, Solo and, and Rogue One, which you also saw. Oh, that's so that, true. So that takes you to 11 there. That, um, and then there was, wasn't there another? The only thing was those two spinoffs, maybe. I think those were, there were more that were planned that kept getting scrapped. Right. Yeah. But, yeah. I think there were just those two um yeah so yeah that makes 11 so that's the most i've seen then because i've seen all of those star wars movies yeah I, um yeah slasher franchises i don't go very deep at all i've seen two i've seen three halloween movies one friday the 13th one nightmare on elm street yeah i kind of tap out at the first of yeah. most of those movies i mean i did more mention... screams I, I, I saw i saw all the west craven screams yeah i want to watch more screams having now seen the first two um really loved them um well the third i mean i don't know uh i know it has its defenders but i think the third is the the least of them and i think that has to do with the absence of kevin williamson um he didn't he didn't write that one but uh um they reteam for Scream Four, which um, I feel like people were so primed to 
to dismiss when it came out. Um, yeah, I did feel but, that in the water. But uh, I thought it was good. I thought it was good. Hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything I would have seen more than 11 of. Because, yeah, I said eight James Bonds, but obviously there are eight Harry Potter movies, and I saw all of those. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, 11 Star Wars. Well, unless uh, did you go deep on the um, the Fantastic Beast movies? Oh, no, I, I forget about those. Yeah. Yeah, as do we all. Yeah, I saw the first of that one. Uh, tapped out after that. But then again, I never saw the first two Harry Potter movies, so. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah. D- David Yates, like, weird, like, he had a promising career. He came into uh, Harry Potter and started making good movies. Yeah. And then after Harry Potter, he made the one Tarzan movie that was fine. And then I guess he just went back to the Harry Potter world. Well, or and then he, he made paint. He made pain hustlers this, this year. Oh, okay. Which is apparently awful. Ah, uh, that's too bad. That's yeah. a shame. You hate to hear that. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been a very loose episode, but that's fine. Yeah, that's uh, all right. And, uh, thank you for listening. Uh, uh, you can do, of course, email us at David at com or, Tyler at battleshipretention.com. Um, follow me on Twitter, Blue Sky, uh, especially if you have some good jokes about Kissinger. Uh, <laughs> at Davey Pretension. Uh, check out my other podcast. It's called um, The One Where I Met Your Mother. Uh, watch with my, do, do with my wife. And uh, yeah, Scott, where, where do you want people to, to track you down on the internet? Yeah, Twitter and Blue Sky at Real of Tomorrow. Uh, Letterboxd um, just posted a review there i'm particularly proud of or not a review but just a couple thoughts on oppenheimer that i never really got down because i caught a screening of that this week and really loved that movie all over again and kind of forgot that i hadn't written anything about it so i threw some notes up there about that um and then got reviews up at battleship pretension um i need to finish writing my review of lesson duck least which is the new okay. um isabel Huppert movie that was quite good um and i feel like i just reviewed something else that was coming out oh the new john movie which is bad um unfortunately yeah yeah i I did post a review i'm I'm pretty fond of for um the new criterion 4k sorry uhd release of um (laughs) thank you last picture show in texasville um that was um i really enjoyed going through those again and writing about them um oh okay before we end i thought of another thing i'm almost a completionist on okay um because we talked about this actually on uh, the Patreon. Yeah, sign up for the Patreon at patreon.com slash Battleship Pretension. Um, our friends Jim Rohner and James McCormick do a podcast where they talk about movies that are based on or inspired by H.P. Lovecraft stories. Right. And I have become the go-to guy for adaptations of Dreams in the Witch House. So I've <laughs> seen uh, I've seen I think I've seen every adaptation of Dreams in the Witch House that is called Dreams in the Witch House. There is an earlier... Uh, adaptation that they changed the name that I haven't seen. But uh, other than that, I've seen all of them, both TV and movies. All right. You all right. Talk about so, having a weird corner of the market. Yeah. <laughs> Completely taken care of. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, um, thanks for listening. And we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.